thank you for joining The Collective today. The Collective is a storytelling podcast interviewing hairstylists and makeup artists. On this week's episode, we have Andrea Mona Bowman. Mona is a union hairstylist, mentor, and educator. Thank you, Mona, so much for joining me on The Collective today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so who is Mona? Oh, I'm a young lady from Shreveport, Louisiana that um, started off um, as a freelance hairstylist in the seventh grade, bootleg, (laughs) but ended up doing this as a hobby that ended up turning to a career. Oh, that's amazing. So I know you from being a hairstylist in TV and film, Um, you know, being a union member and, and department heading shows. How did you get to this part of your career? I got to this part of my career from hard work. Um, Like I said, I'm originally from Shreveport, Louisiana, and the film industry came to Louisiana. And when Hurricane Katrina hit, it knocked all the work from um, New Orleans area, from the South Louisiana up to North Louisiana. And they were looking for people because at that point, you know, they want to try to hire locals, of course. And fortunately, my pastor sister-in-law was an extra and she invited the department head for my first show to come and do Easter dinner. And he was telling my pastor about um, he would love to find some local people that was pretty good that was hair. And my pastor told him I have the best person in the city that does everybody hair um, go to my church. And he had his wife to call me and they called and I started not to go. And it's so funny how God worked is because my son was in the car with me and I was so tired because we had did sunrise service. And I was like, I ain't going over there today. I'm tired. And my son said, Mama, don't you know about opportunities? Didn't you tell us you never know that one opportunity can be the very thing that changed your life? And it was true. I talked to that guy that was the department head for 15 minutes. He stopped me from talking. His name was beloved Ken Walker. He was one of the greats in this um, film industry. He passed last year, but he said, Mona, you know what? I can just look in your eyes and tell you're the one. He said, I'm going to give you a chance of a lifetime. And he hired me on the spot and didn't know that that show was The Great Debaters. And went in there and I've been rolling ever since because even the people that I worked with on that show, they were connected to the union and introduced me to the union. And that's how that even that process even started because I didn't know anything about this world. But it was like everybody that I came in contact with had a part to play in Mona's step to get here. But Matiki, just want to tell her if she ever listened to it, I appreciate her because she was the one that walk me into the union world knowing how to make that process happen and just hard work and listening and training because those are my biggest things just train 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 you're always a student that's my quote of the day because you never know enough I feel like because each set you work on each production you work on each commercial you work on is a different experience so you always want to prepare yourself for the unknown things that you're not comfortable with doing always practice those things that you feel like are weak and being very honest with yourself that you can push yourself to be able to grow more those are the things that I feel like set me in a path to be able to go from just doing background not knowing anything and learning in all these because I just made my 13th year last year so in April Easter um, I mean May of this year will be my 14th year and it's just been a it's been a ride but I just feel like for anybody that's listening to know that hard work really pays off and anything that's associated with your craft learn it learn it learn it like it's the back of your hand it's beautiful. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's such a beautiful story. And I love Matiki, by the way. I Oh, Matiki. <laughs> that's my girl. I love Tiki. So I worked with her on um, on Wonder Woman 1984. Yes, Tiki. <laughs> She's so great. She she really is. So that's amazing. So she did you work with her in Louisiana? Was she down was there? She- she was on the Great Debaters as well. She was the oh, key on there. Her and Mr. Carl. Um, Carl was the department head and she was the key. 
And when she seen me and she, a lot of people thought that I knew, like I had been a regular and they didn't know <laughs> until I told them because I was so scared that I would break something. But I was very observant and I knew when you don't know anything, you always step back and allow yourself to listen and to pay attention to everything. So those that I knew that had a little experience, I stood back and allowed myself to stay humble, to learn and pay attention and to be aware of my surrounding. And I flowed right on in. So Matiki didn't even know. She was like, Mona, how long you been doing this? I was like, this is my first time. She was like, what? She was like, girl, you're knocking them hairstyles out. And you know, I was like, I know, but I'm scared. I, I'm still scared. And she took me under her wing and me and her develop a friendship. And to this day, we still stay in contact. Um, I love her dearly. She's such a sweetheart. And we didn't reconnect again until we did Fences. And I got um, uh, requested um, by one of the producers that when I worked on The Great Debaters brought me in. And it was such a good time because at that point, me and her really was able to really, you know, seal that bond. We used to go shopping and stuff on our days off, but just her being there, giving me those nuggets, it just made a difference. And I'm just grateful. Awesome. So good. So let's talk about doing hair in Shreveport. So you've been doing hair since, what did you say, seventh grade? Did you? Yeah, I was being funny because that's when I started. <laughs> I was a little lightweight bootlegger because my cousin ended up getting a very bad haircut. And I've always been able to draw and I could paint and all those things because my mother was a school teacher. And so, you know, you become that that helping hand and make billboards and all those things. So I could create things. And so when she got home from this haircut, she had really, really long hair, but you know, salt and pepper used to have that little stacked out wedge and <laughs> the tail in the back. She wanted that so bad. The young lady couldn't articulate the haircut. And my grandmother paid all that money for her hair. And she was like, I lost all the top of my hair and got this old ugly haircut. And she showed me the picture and I was like, girl, I can cut that. Don't ask me how I knew I could cut it. But I just could see the angles from looking at the type, looking at the picture. And I got some of those orange handle scissors that, you know, those utility scissors. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I grabbed those scissors and my grandmother was like, don't you mess up our hair. I said, my dear, you just <laughs> paid this lady all this money and jacked her up. But you didn't say nothing to her. So don't come for me. <laughs> and she's like, you can go ahead and fix it if you can. And I actually cut it, curled it, and it was a hit. And then my sister came the next day and she was like, oh, Tasha got a bad haircut. Who cut her hair? I was like, I did it. She was like, girl, can you cut my hair? And then I cut her hair into a witch uh, bob. She had like the bangs and it was crepe, uh, cropped across her face, came around and it hit right at her chin. But it was stacked out like salt and pepper too. Went all the way out to probably like four inches. It was amazing because she had the thickest hair ever. And from her haircut, she worked at this um, truck stop. And so... The people in the truck stop could not eat their food from looking at my sister's haircut. And I remember this lady, my first actual client, whoop, whoop, quote, here I am in the 11th grade at that point. And <laughs> the whole time from seventh grade to then, I was cutting my friend's hair for games and different, um, you know, events and stuff like that. I became the little neighborhood person. So when she gets her haircut, the lady comes up to her and she said, who cut your hair? I want to know my husband going to be tr driving trucks all week and I'll be here for like a week. Could you tell me the salon? She said, no, my little sister cut it. She was like, okay, well, where are your little sister? He, she said, no, my little sister. Like, she's a little sister. She's not grown. She was like, right. what? She was like, okay, <laughs> well, your hair cut so bad. Can your little sister still cut my hair? And she called me and I asked my mom, I said, ma, this a lady want me to do her hair. And she was like, is she paying? I said, yeah. She was like, oh, yeah, she can come through. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what started the, from my cousin getting that jacked up haircut. Hey, Tasha, to this day, um, <laughs> trying to save her and make her feel good about herself because I love people. Anybody would know me. Know I love people. I love to make people laugh. I love to have a good time because there's so much everybody be going through. You never know what people is going through. And I had the same uh, you know, type of zeal, even when I was younger, when I could see somebody not feeling well, I want to try to do my part if I'm in their presence to make them feel better. And from that haircut, did not know that that has started my whole career. And it has been from one extreme, from one haircut leads to another relationship, from that relationship to another relationship. 
And it's just like a ping pong thing. But I always give back and I always did a lot of stuff for free because even for my senior prom, I did probably like 15 of my friends hair for free because their mother couldn't afford it. And I pin curled and fridge rolled and all that, <laughs> had them fly and then I go to college because I went and it was so ironic. My first film was The Great Debaters about Wiley College. And my, I went to Wiley College for two years and played basketball and I became the, the um, I would say the freshman dorm hairstylist. <laughs> right. <laughs> so on the weekend, cause I met this girl, she was from Detroit and you know, of course, back in the nineties, especially uh, Detroit was the hair capital of the world for the black girls. You hear me? They right. did 12 hairstyles in one head. And I met this girl named Donette. I haven't seen Donette since, but Donette was the one that turned me on to extensions. And I was like, girl, how you make that hair? She was like, this weed, girl, let me show you. She said, because I'm glad you're here. I can't do everybody. I do the upper class, and you're going to do the freshman. And on Saturdays, I would get a tablet in this community bathroom and put my little appointment book down at the end, and they would make appointments. And that's how I, I took care of myself so my mom wouldn't have to send me money for school. And ended up, um, ended up, Stopping because my mom couldn't afford it because, you know, it was a private school. So I ended up coming back and I was pregnant with my second son. And I remember I was living in a project at that point And I had a cousin that stayed upstairs that braided hair as well. And I remember just sitting outside on the porch this day saying to myself, OK, I got to come up with a game plan. Not never taking hair serious enough to be a career because I just didn't think of it as being my career because doing hair was a hobby. but trying to help my cousin, like I said before, always trying to help other people. I'm thinking about her situation as if I didn't have two kids in the project. She had two kids in the project. And we sitting there pondering. She said, Mona, let's go to beauty school. And I was like, oh, okay. And I'm still thinking in my head, I'll help you get yourself because you have a harder life. I'm smart. I'm not going to end up in the projects forever. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to come up with this game plan. So I get to take her to the beauty school. I told her I'd do it with her because she knew I had a knack for hair. We sitting there going through the tour of the school. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking like, wow, she's getting her career started. What am I going to do the whole time? We get into the office where we're doing the paperwork for her. And the counselor says, you know, you can make up to $100,000 a year if you're a great hairstylist. I said, excuse me? I said, um, <laughs> How much? <laughs> I said, excuse me? She said, yeah, $100,000. I said, oh, so do y'all have enough openings for me too? Uh, I want to sign up too. And ended up signing up. And two weeks later, she quit. But I continued. And to this day, she still regret because she never did go back and get her license. But I thought God was using me to help her. But he was bumping me into a position for myself. And once I got into school, I took it serious because at this point I knew if I wanted to be one of those hairstylists that can make a hundred thousand dollars, that mean I had to be committed. That mean I had to be trained and I knew I had to show up on time. And those things stuck with me from school. And when my teacher, she by the time I was getting ready to graduate, she told me, she said, Mona, I know you're going to do well. She said, because I've never seen somebody so adamant about getting things right like you are. You're not taking this lightly. I said, no, because I'm trying to get out of the hood. <laughs> I got a plan. And I thought my plan was have to do something else. But I see now this hobby had became my career. And from that day forward, I worked in a salon at my auntie's salon. And the lady that she was co-owner with, the week that I started with her, she had a, a very allergic reaction to relaxers. And she stopped doing um, hair. And I walked right into her many years of doing hair. So I took all her clients. So I never was without clients. And then I took those clients and flipped from them telling their friends or their other family members. And it was just a continuation. And that's how I became one of one of the most sought after hairstylists in Shreveport. And then I was doing extensions as well. A lot of people in that, you know, rural kind of area really wasn't wearing extensions, but I've knew that if I was going to be better than most, I would have to train. So I would get in my car because nobody was coming to do classes in Shreveport. 
I used to have to go to drive to Dallas or um, Arkansas or New Orleans or anywhere. I would just get in my car, wherever I can Google and find a class, I would go. And that training on top of different trainings made, made me stand out more than anybody. And I made sure that whatever I did, I learned the latest. And when I learned it, I made sure I rocked it and put my little stank on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, that was my course of Shreveport just coming into becoming one of the most sought after ones in Shreveport. But how the film industry, like I said, it came to me through that encounter. And that job, that first job from the Great Debaters led to my second job led to my second job because like I said Shreveport was boom boom booming and then when New Orleans picked back up then by me being in the union thank God at that point I was able to start getting calls from down south and I was able to be able to make those relationships with different producers and being still requested from the different department heads that I had encountered and that's another thing that I feel like a lot of people have to understand that if you're going to be in this industry, you have to make sure that you do a lot of self-reflecting. You have to be humble and hungry and trained and dedicated because if you go in there with a, I think I know attitude, you're going to give that off without even saying it because a lot of times people don't know that when you're in a production, that department head and that key has to get their uh, their instructions and then they have to relay it to the day players or the third and when they telling you stuff, they don't have time to always tell you four, five, six, ten, and twelve. I know you know five, six, seven go between that four and that eight. But if they don't tell you to do that five, six, seven, don't do it. But a lot of times people think, oh, I'm gonna make it look a little better because this is what I want to do, and they end up messing up or making things harder for the department head because that's something that the showrunner or the director didn't want, and now we have to clean it up or change it or that's why it's very, very, very vital in this industry that you keep an opening and listening ear and stay humble to follow instructions to the detail of your um, key or your department head so you can be able to be a part of that flow of instruction so y'all can be able to make some movie magic. So true. So important too. And I, I mean, not even just in our industry, right? It's important to know you know, to be humble and be open and yes, outside of our industry as well. So it's interesting, you know, when you were talking about um, before you went to hair school and not thinking about your hobby becoming a career, I can't tell you the interviews that I've done, how many times that comes up, whether it's hair, <laughs> it's like, whether it's hair or makeup, you know, it's like um, it, we are in, we have a career, you know, we're in an industry where it was always see it always it was not I'm not gonna say it wasn't taken seriously, but a lot of times it wasn't taken seriously as a career, you know? Yes. It was always like my mom, the my back mom told me, yeah, because she's a school teacher. So she wanted she pressured me to go to school, college. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted because I'm an artsy person. I wanted to do some artsy. And she said, Mona, you the uh, doing hair is for flunkies. And then it reminded me of beauty school dropout on Greece. Yes. And I was just yes. like, I'm not a flunky. I'm not dumb. So she made my head spin because I couldn't right. articulate that I could make a living from this. So I never took it seriously until that counselor at that beauty school said, <laughs> if you're a great hairstylist, you can make a hundred thousand dollars. I said, Rip. <laughs> I don't know what my mama talking about, but I know what I could do with a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just so interesting because so many of us, you know, it was always like, you know, it was something that I always wanted to do. Like I have, um, I have a picture on my Instagram of me doing my mom's makeup. And just like you, like when I was growing up in middle school, actually, is when I started doing like, okay, uh -huh. hair, hair makeup for homecoming. And then it turned yes. into prom. And then it turned <laughs> into like so-and-so's sister's wedding, you know? Yes. <laughs> kind of that same thing. And then it was like, well, you know, no, you know, my dad wanted me to go to school um, yes. to be a nurse. He wanted me to go to nursing school. And I, so I went to college for two years and then I'm like, no, I can actually go to hair school and, and do what I want to do. Right. Exactly. But well, it's my just mom so finally years later after I got into 
really like everybody wanted me to do their hair after I got my license. She had to come back and apologize. She was like, Mona, I'm so sorry that I put that in your head. She was like, man, you are amazing with people. People need you. Like she was like, you are the counselor. I see people get out of your chair. They feel better. They look better. And they feel like they can go on with the world. Like, She's like, you make a difference. And I was the very one that's trying to force you to be in Because I went to school, um, college for microbiology. Could you imagine this big old personality in the laboratory? Girl, bye. <laughs> Girl, bye. I knew I, I was a creative, artsy person. <laughs> it would keep the laboratory interesting, right? Like, you would never you would never let that laboratory have a dull moment, for sure. It would be fun. <laughs> It'd be a fun laboratory. Of course it would. And they were like, girl, if you don't be quiet, it's supposed to be quiet in here. We're running tests. Calm yourself down. <laughs> but it's so funny how you just never know. And like, I'm so at the point now to where any young person that I mentor or um, that I try to inspire people that reach out, they DM me, they ask questions. I try to stop, you know, what I'm doing to be able to relay to them that it's okay to be different. It's okay to pursue things that are not the common thing or like we was told that that was for flunkies, you know, things that you know you feel passionate about. It's okay. And even if it's not hair and makeup, but it's okay to pursue music. It's okay to pursue those things that you're, you might be the only one in your family do. You know what I'm saying? That's the kind of message that I like to push, cause especially when I, um, used to do um, vacation Bible school for kids. I always did the teenagers because everybody was scared. Hey, they're just too much. I was like, no, they're big kids. So if you come to them real, they're going to come back with you real. So I will always make sure that we have games that will make them relate as far as who they want to become and what they needed to do. And I just feel like so many parents, if they just allowed them ch their children to show them who they are and what they are passionate about, and then we feed that whatever the things that they need to grow, it will make such a big difference in their lives. Huge. I mean, it would be, it would be, and then, and then there's a trickle down effect, right? Like if you put that power into people, allowing them yep. to be themselves and do what they want to do, then, then you've got like, that feeds into the community, which then feeds into the world, you know? So exactly. makes yeah. a difference because all of our gifts are necessary. That's why I try to tell people there's no such thing as competition. That's only something that you've made in your head. Mentally. Because the only, yeah, because yeah, the only somebody can stop you from doing something is you. It's what you you believe. Because if there's something that you make your mind up and you do, <laughs> it's gonna happen. It doesn't matter how when people say, "Oh, it's so hard." It ain't. It's not hard. Because I, I was just telling my son that yesterday. I said certain certain words I don't use. I don't I don't say, "Oh, it's can, it's gonna be hard," or I don't say trying because trying gives you that little crutch to me. Because if you need five to complete something and you do three, three will make you think that's good enough when it's not because the deadline was five. So you're still missing. You can't go in the store and buy something and say, I only got $3.50 and it's $5. They're going to say, OK, when you get that other two, <laughs> $2, then you come back. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see you so, later. <laughs> so I teach my children that don't come saying you're trying. You're not going to stop. Now, you may miss the mark. You get what I'm saying? But. Don't stop until you actually do what you say you set your mind to do, no matter how long it takes, because sometimes it takes that falling short to build you up. You come back and you push until you get that uh, that agenda taken care of. And that's the thing that I, I just don't use is getting hard and trying. Those are two words that I just try to tell people all. And when I hear people say it's going to be hard, I said, don't say that. It's, it, it is what it is. You're going to do what you need to do to make it happen. And I'm not stopping. People always say, Mona, you never stop. I don't stop. I'm not going to stop until I stop physically. Because if it's something that I need to do, it's going to mm -hmm. happen. Now, it might take me two years on some stuff, but I promise It'll you happen. I'm pursuing it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's going to happen. Amazing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Completely. So you had the boys, you had two of the boys when you started doing hair, right? I had my oldest son my senior year in high school. Oh. And I had my middle son, um, my second year in college, and I have a younger son, um, younger son, and he, I had him at 26, so I was full on in the beauty shop. <laughs> at that point, my career was booming. When he, I got pregnant with him, I was like, dude, you came at the worst time. <laughs> and he was like, because <laughs> girl, I got up to 250 pounds. He was 10 wow. pounds, 10 ounces. 
Mm-hmm. Two and a half inches long. So wow. I was huge. Here I am at five months. I had to turn to the side to do my client's hair because my stomach <laughs> would be on the top of their neck. I was like, you would come when I'm doing all these people and I have a business that I'm running. And here you come. I thought the other two boys, you know, they were big enough. They were shop babies. So at that by that time, they were able to sit on the side and do their homework on the side of my station because Gratefully, I was in a family setting and even the second salon that I went to because after my auntie um, shop that I worked in when I first started doing hair, she uh, bought a house and she built her salon to her house so she wouldn't have to pay that overhead, which makes sense. But it was so funny. I was out looking for somewhere to work and I was bumped again to a salon. Didn't even know it was a young lady that um, that we knew and trusted at this beauty supply that always would tell us the certain hair to use and all that. And I said, Sherry, you know, I got a big personality. I can't work everywhere. Um, what do you think I should work? Could you give me some suggestions? She said, you know what? Try the young lady across the street. She really nice. She just started doing my hair like four months ago. But me and her got a great relationship from what I know about you, Mona. You a lover because, you know, she she good people. I get to the door. She comes in. And she comes from the break room and I'm looking and I was like, man, she looked like my cousin. And I didn't say nothing, but we go to talking and she was like, oh, you called about the booth? And I was like, yeah, we just talking. And she was like, well, where you do hair at? I said, on Pines Road, another part of town. And she said, I have a cousin I just met at a family reunion. I missed the family reunion because I was working. <laughs> but I would have met her at the family reunion. But so ironic, I was working, couldn't. But you see how I got bumped right into her lap. And she said, yeah, I just met a cousin. Um, her name Mala. I said, yeah. She, I said, that's my auntie. She said, girl, we cousins. From, I said, no. I was just telling myself that you look like my one of my cousins. I said, hey, girl, you're some kidding me. She called her mom. Her mom told me about my grandmother and her auntie on my grandmother's side. Big old thing. We are, we're cousins. And so I went from one family salon to another salon. And that salon there, I worked in that one 12 years. I finished out my 20 years. Um, at that particular um, salon and I did both hair in the film industry and on the weekends I worked in the salon which was very hard but I had always made myself a promise I was going to do 20 years in the salon and I will figure out my second career after that because I was kind of getting bored with hair because I was doing most of the people the same. You know, most clients, they want to look the same, especially I was doing all the professional people. And I was like, I want to do the fly stuff. When I first started doing hair, I was doing the swoops and the big, and you know, ain't nobody finna be working no office with no big swoop and all that. (laughs) Them ladies ain't trying to hear that. They're like, girl, I'm just trying to rake this hair to the side and look cute. I ain't got time. I got kids. And I'm like, you don't want to try a little bang, a little color? No, I want this right here. So I had got to the point where I felt like I was riding a bike. And that's when the salon, um, that's when the film industry got introduced, and it wasn't at a better time for me because it made it challenged me, and it also made me really understand about time, because I was faithful to my clients because I didn't really know how serious I could even make a career out of the film industry either. Because at one point, I, you know, by coming to me so so differently, I thought it was just a fluke or just a season. But when I got to my sixth year in it, then it was my 20th year. And then I had to make a decision because it was getting overwhelmed. Because then by that point, I started getting called for jobs on location that I would be gone for three to five or seven months. And I still would have to pay booth rent. And so when I came back that last time and I was like, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, if this film industry is it. I can just do it part time every now and then, but I can't do it on the regular. I'm going to have to either go full time in a salon or do this. And that transition between both. And I remember praying. I was coming from a hair show. I had went to a training in Dallas and it's a two and a half hour drive back to Shreveport. And I was driving and it was like three calls came in and all three encounters led me to step out in faith and go after this. Because I fell in love with the character development of set life. That's what made me like really get this spark because now I can read the script right. and make this character come to life. Oh, my God. And when I see it now, because that's that's the part that just really behooves me, even because I've always been that girl that loved movies and TV because that was my first 
that's what I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be an actress, a dancer, a performer. And that's what I desired because I was going after it. But I got pregnant with my son and I just buried all those dreams. But it was so funny over the years of doing hair and being one that, you know, would do the extensions and stuff like that. They used to always call me Hollywood. And they say, Hollywood, Mona, you Hollywood, you need to be a Hollywood because, you know, coming from a little country city, you know, right. when you make it all glammed up, they associated with that. But right. I remember this young man, he's a preacher now, one of my clients, he was probably about 12 or 13 years old. He was still in middle school and he came to the salon. His mom was getting his hair, her hair done. And she, he came to me, he said, Miss Mona, I had a dream about you. I said, you did, baby? He said, yes, ma'am. He said, you're going to be doing hair for the star. And he said it just like that. I'll never forget. He said, you're going to be doing hair. And I said, I said, your mama's a star. He said, yeah, she's a star, but I'm talking about them other stars. I said, okay. <laughs> I was like, okay. And, I, and all I kept saying was okay. And he was looking at me until I received it. He was like, no, I'm serious. Yeah, he's doing <laughs> Later, don't blow me off. I'm dead serious. I know what I see. So are you going to accept? And I looked him dead in his eye and I said, you know what, baby? If it's meant for me to do the stores, God's going to make sure that I get it. That I say, right, thank you. I say, thank you for telling me that. He said, watch what I tell you. <laughs> and when I got my first movie, his mom told I can't get my hair done because Miss Mona doing um this movie. And he said, Mama, I told you. I told you. <laughs> you going to be doing hair for the stuff. Jonathan, I'll never forget Jonathan. But Jonathan told me that he said that he could see it because a lot of people knew from when I was younger that I was dancing and performing. But it was so funny that I never would have thought that the very movies that I would be watching were movies that I would have opportunities to actually put my hands on and to be a part of making this, uh, this vision come to life. And I'm so grateful now. And working my way up from being a day player to being a third, from being a key, and now even department heading. It's just so amazing how each level has its benefits and how each level build you to become a better, I think, a better hair designer to me in this industry. Because now for me starting at day playing, I think that's what made me have the type of foundation I need to be a great department head. That's just me. Cause I know I hear a lot of people, Oh, I don't do, you know, that's the thing that I've been hearing on the street. Oh, I don't do background. I'm just like, why not? Oh, right. What's wrong with doing background? Everybody is important because the background is really the one that set the tone of that scene. Sure. If you don't have to Absolutely. And moving and making a scene look realistic. People right. eat and nobody's in the restaurant. Duh, right. that's <laughs> right. And a lot of times artists downplay their gift because it's not the the showrunner, you know, it's not right in the front of the, the screen, right. but it doesn't matter. This is about character development for yourself. And then right. it is very important that you take those steps and every opportunity I tell every person that because I always have a meeting in between uh me having from lunch. Once we break for lunch and then we before we go back, especially if it's a big show, I always try to encourage. I always try to tell people the things, especially if it's a continuation of a scene, try to encourage, give instructions, but always tell them to know so people can understand how important it is. Always know that each person that you do on set, be, be it background all the way up to the number one, know that every head you do is your next audition because you don't know who's watching you. You know what I'm saying? So that always sparked me early in my career. So I don't care if it's somebody that they think, because I've had where background that I've done end up getting featured because I made that background look just like somebody that looks that needed to look like in the 1950s. So they, the director see this person walk in and it's like, who is this? Who did bring her? I want her right here because they have that look. Because you harder want to study. I have a library of books because for some reason I just fell in love with period hairstyling. And yeah. I just noticed that God was study putting me in period hairstyling movies to work on them. So I said, you know, since my first one was a period and contrary to popular belief, I had never did a 1930s hairstyle in my life. Never did a 1940s in my life. But when I tell you 
when people have the, those crutches talking about they can't figure this out and we have Pinterest and all this stuff on the phones back then, we didn't have that on our phone. Right. You know what I had to do? I had to go to the library and I made this, what I call my hair Bible. I took pictures and I copied them because I just wanted to give a visual to myself where I can make variations because I didn't want all 30 of the people that's in the room look like themselves. But I knew if I get the variation, because, you know, normal people don't always look just like other people. But if it's a certain style, women tend to have the same style, but it's a little different. One might have a little swooty swoo. One might be pulled back on the side. One might be flipped up. One might have a bang. So these were the variations. But I always wanted to know the shape of that period. And books, books, books are the best thing that people can buy to to really keep yourself up to it and buy mannequins. I push every time I look around because that's why I was giving those classes when the pandemic first hit free classes is just to motivate people, but to make people understand you are always a student if you want to be the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I love you said each person or every head that you do is your is your next audition. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Yes. And I think just like you said, too, with background, it's um, if you don't understand the background world, it, re- it makes it extremely hard to understand how to be. Um, I don't want to say successful, um, how to be a, a really good. What is the word I'm looking for? Like a really good key or a really good department head. Like oh. you have to understand, like you said, um, that's part of the process and because yeah. all of it collectively it goes together. And I've known people that get into this industry, have an opportunity given to them, go right. from beauty go school or commerce, yeah, mm-hmm. and go straight to department heading. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's crucial, right? I mean, it really is. It's crucial to understand how, yeah. how BG land works and how every yeah. every part, you know, works together and, and plays. It's huge. Very. Really, really big deal. And I love, um, I love that your little client, Jonathan, I love yes. that. <laughs> like, amazing. So, okay. So you worked on something recently that, um, and you are a fabulous period here. I mean, amazing. Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, amazing. Thank you. But I, thank you. Thank you. Which is like now my favorite and I have to read the book and I keep forgetting I need to get my hands on it is um, Lovecraft Country. Yes. I was the key on that one. Yes. Well, I loved it so much, and I loved the hair and makeup and wardrobe costumes. Oh, yes. I loved it. I, I mean, I loved everything. I loved the cars. I loved it all, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but the that hair was amazing. That was one that our team, we had a whole tribe of hairstylists, um, my core group. My department head, his name is Brian Body. I was the key. Um, my third was Edithina, and I had another young lady named Angela Dyson. Uh, Jackie Bell, I had some great barbers, Jigga and Terrence Austin and Chris Mays. These people were like my core group because we even had to set up because it was such a moving, so many moving parts. We had first unit sometimes, second unit, we had uh, a special effects unit because I don't know, spoiler alert, I don't know if people have watched it or not, but it's an episode where we had monsters and we had to take them from one extreme to the next in the VFX um, thing where we had to make them look normal. Then we had to deconstruct them and make them look like those crazy monsters. We had one young lady that I did that had an 1820s inspired hairstyle that I had to do on her. And her particular monster where they actually did special um, medical experience on uh, experiments on her, her whole top of her head was peeled out where you could see her brains and her scalp was leaning over. So not only did I have to get her wig prepared, I had to help the special effects people make the wig to where they could put that piece and make that it fit. And then it looked like her head. So it's way much more to hairstyling just you doing this nice beach wave and all that stuff (laughs) it's so much goes into it and like with that one that was a blessing it was period based but it was out of this world so we went to to the moon we went to literally (laughs) literally went to the moon because that blue hair that I did on Anjanu Ellis which was amazing 
I yes. did that wig. I had to do three of each of those because um, she was my actress. So each one of those different trips that she took, I had to do at least three of those looks uh, for her body double and for her stunt double. And it was a lot of work because, you know, doing an episode, (laughs) you only have a certain amount of time that production is allowed to shoot that episode. So while we're doing this episode, I'm in here prepping for this other episode while running second unit, while making sure that my fittings are done, while making sure that wigs are ordered, making sure that the schedule is done. So it's a lot of moving parts, especially when you're in the key position, especially on an episodic, especially period and black period hair because black period hair is a whole nother uh weight in itself because especially in the south from the uh from the humidity and all these different things that affect our hair right. It, right. it makes it uh sometimes it makes it a a, a battle because you have to control it and one thing about you know being on set continuity is the biggest thing it's the biggest thing because i don't know if those that are listening sometimes you um have to create that look two weeks in a row. I had a film that I had to do one look for two weeks strong and you have to make sure. And I have a book that I'm developing about um, for um, young hairstylists that are coming into this so they can kind of get a basic understanding. And what I always train myself. So to be consistent with my continuity is to make certain pie shapes mentally in my head visually write them down so you can know I took this piece and I turned it in two times you write it on the piece of paper you know you turned this way inward this time so you can have a guide to be able to help you mentally and sometimes physically because I've had it to where I just did it on a paper made a printout and it helps you be able to go back and try to get it because I know as artists we're oh I'm fabulous I'm gonna spin this hair and I'm gonna pin it to the side and then they say, oh, we didn't finish that part. We're going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> then you're not your fabulous self today. And you try to, oh, let me just twist it. And it don't look nothing like the day before. <laughs> or or they end up, you end up um, rapping and then doing a reshoot. Yes. And then you would have forgot because it's been four months later or maybe a year. I have stuff with it. Right. Back for a year. And you were like, I don't know what the hell I did. But that's what made me come up with that concept. And that's what I told my friend of mine. She was like, Mona, you got to put this stuff in a book. And I told her, I said, you know, I don't have to be a big one. I said, but I just want to give like a little guidebook (laughs) to kind of help, help, um, especially inspiring sellers because I didn't have that. I really learned hands on, like boots to the ground. And I've just been very, very fortunate to be under some people that allowed my gift to, to help you know, build up their, what they were trying to create. And it's been fortunate. I'm, I'm not going to even lie. I've really been blessed. I've been working with some great people over the years. I've inspired some people. And it's just been amazing because that Lovecraft, that one right there, that changed my life because I always wanted to do a black sci-fi. But Misha Green, which was the showrunner for that one, oh my God, I knew from working with her on Underground Season 1 off WGN and Season 2 that I knew she was going to take us to another level, and she did. And it was so good because to be able to create those things, I'll never forget. It it just changed my whole outlook. I'm not going to even lie. It just inspired me to make sure that I'm in a creative place to be able to come up with these different looks because Misha already know what she wants, but to go and to make them come to life. And when she see it and she was like, okay, this is what I envisioned. That's like my heart's desire. Anytime I'm on a show to hear that showrunner say, look, this is, this is it. (laughs) This is it. So good. So good. I mean, I, I can't wait. Like, I, I need to read the book, actually. I need to go and read the book. It's so good. And I'm such a big reader. So I'm like, how have I not already read this book? Um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because oh, took, so she, she took it because the book is, is a lot different than the show. But but you will see the, the it's so much imagery in that show. And you will, you will catch a lot of it. Because she took it and she put her stank on that thing. And it was... <laughs> Like, oh, my God, because when I first read the first episode, I was like, what? We're going to do what? This right. guy's like, what? <laughs> and then when it 
when we finally finished it, it was like, wow, but I ended up couldn't do the last two episodes because um, I ended up getting calls to do respect. And that was one that I prayed for years ago when I first moved from Shreveport to Atlanta in 2017. I was like, God, I would love to do a movie with music, something like Dream Girls, some a period show, something like Dream Girls. So when I got called for it, when I heard Jennifer Hudson, I just stopped moving because I said, I said in my prayer, something like Dream Girls. And who was in Dream Girls? Right. <laughs> and so when my uh, department head, Lawrence Davis, the legendary Lawrence Davis, <laughs> he <laughs> called me and asked me to be his right hand man, be his key. I was like, oh, hell yeah, Lawrence. I was so excited <laughs> that he asked me and I was torn because I was still a part of Lovecraft and right. I didn't want to drop the baton. But I also knew that this was an iconic movie that I knew that, yeah. that I had to go. I prayed really hard. It was a struggle. I'm not going to even lie because I, I, I literally cried because I didn't want to let Misha down. I didn't want to let my department head down because I had never left a show. And I thought that was like sacrilege. You better not leave a show. You finish. But when that came and I could see when he asked me, I could see what I needed to do because I could see things. And when I seen and I remember when we had to fly to New York to do the first part of the show, what I seen is what actually came out and I just had to peach myself because it was like a deja vu situation. I said, oh my God, I seen it. So I knew I knew I was in the right place. And so I just released not being there to able to finish, help my team finish. But he had some people there that helped him finish and he said that it would be fine. So, but I was really torn. I'm not going to even lie because sure. I love Lovecraft. Oh my God, I had put my heart and my left leg and soul in that in that TV show, <laughs> but I knew that respect needed the respect of having Mona be a little stank on it too. Yes. And, and when y'all <laughs> see that show, I'm telling you. Oh, I can't wait. Costumes, the set deck, the hair, the makeup, and Jennifer and her singing. Oh, oh my <laughs> God. That girl embodied freaking Aretha Franklin. I'm wow. so serious. Like we did a scene where we reenacted a few of her concerts, but this particular one, they had did it in a docu-series on, I think either HBO or something that she was actually going to do, but they never released it until then. And I said, oh, wow, this is so ironic. The week we were filming, the actual scene is when they released it. So I came home and watched it and I was just like, and I could see how Jennifer Lou was doing uh, Aretha's little sachet up to the piano when she sung and recorded her Amazing Grace. Girl, y'all ain't ready. They ain't ready. Like, they ain't ready for, for Jennifer. Cause Jennifer gave that girl life. And I see why now that Aretha asked her to play her. Like, I see now. Because even some of the pictures they already released that Lawrence went in, because Lawrence did her, Um, he, you could tell he really studied and got that thing right. Like, he got it right. And she looks amazing. And she was such a great person to work with. She was such a sweetheart. Her, uh, Marlon Wayans, freaking um, uh, Forrest Whitaker. And that was a full circuit for me because Forrest helped me on the first day that I was shooting on Great Debaters. I started to walk away from the show because I was so scared because nobody was, everybody was acting like I knew what I was doing, but I was freaking out. I didn't even know what last looks meant because my boss, apparently Mr. Ken forgot that I had never did this. <laughs> And he was just like, oh, I said. And I was like, go, oh, I said. What the hell is what? Go, oh, I said. What you want to just look at people's shit? What that mean? And I remember going up with Forrest. And I didn't ride the van. I walked because it was like a, it wasn't too far. But I just walked and cried and prayed. I was like, okay, God, you got me in this. Okay, I'm here. Okay, but what am I supposed to do? Please, I don't want to look foolish. I don't want to look stupid. I'm just crying. So I get on set. I wipe up everything. And, of course, Forrest was, had a very short, low haircut. So I didn't really have to do nothing. But I had a little girl that I was Devin. I'll never forget it. Me and her have run into each other several times in this career. Isn't that crazy? Um, she was my first little girl. And oh. I made her hair because, you know, it was the 30s. And I wasn't thinking. And that's when I fell in love with this industry because by me not knowing that they her dad only made $3 a month, her hair couldn't be perfect. So I'm coming from the salon world where we make things perfect. 
But in the character world, you have to make the character look like the character, not the real character. Person. Right. Yes. So Denzel came in because he was directing as well. He comes in and he said, "No, she she looked like she got money. They ain't got no money. You got to jump. You got to jack her up." And I said, "Jack her up? I just made her perfect." And I'm like, "Huh?" So I, you know, messed her up, made her look like she had flyaways, and took it from, you know, from making deconstructed a little bit to making. And he's like, "Oh, that's perfect." But before that. I walk in, I'm scared out of my wits, and I love Forrest Whitaker. I never um, take it for granted that people place people, God place people in your life for a reason, because most, you know, real trained and seasoned actors, if they know you scary, they don't want you to touch them. They be like, girl, move around, don't bring that energy over here. <laughs> he looked up at me. And she he doesn't know said, what she's doing. <laughs> exactly. He looked up at me. He said, come here. And I said, yes, sir. He said, this your first time. And I said, yes, sir. How you know? <laughs> I said, I don't know what's going on. I'll have a clue. And when I tell you, that man sat there for five minutes and gave me one-on-one -on -one boot camp of what last looks was, what to expect. This is what I need to do. Stay out of the way. The camera this. And I was just, and as he was talking, Brooke, I can't lie to you. I felt like I was in this balloon that was about to burst. And it was so tight and suffocating. But as he was talking, I felt like he took a little pin and popped a little hole and the air was just like, Hoo. that's how I was feeling. Like it was just going down. And when he <laughs> finished saying what he had to say, Denzel said last looks and he looked at me and he winked. And I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I said I can do this. <laughs> and I never stopped since. And I and it's been on ever since. So every time I come into a situation, because it's still to this day, because I'm a, I'm preparing now to um actually go start another film for the new year um now. But it's never a time that I don't have that sense of fear. But it's not fear that I can't do it. It's just the unknown. And I'm such a perfectionist and want stuff to be so authentic, especially when I'm doing a period one, which is what I'm doing. Another 1950s and 1940s um, piece. And I just I, I think I probably screenshot 2000 pictures in my phone. I can barely <laughs> download anything because I got all these reference photos and I just never take it for granted just because I did love craft, which was the 1950s that I can go in here and say, oh, this one was a success. So you can do it I'm like, no, girl, you got to get in here and you got to grind and prepare. You got to go and look at these looks and make sure that this is really telling the truth about this character. So that's why I tell any inspiring hairstylist to make sure you do the research, you do the work, especially if you want to make yourself a specialist leaning more so towards um period hairstyling but i would recommend that all hairstylists learn every type that you can at least be able to identify different periods so even if you're on a current day they have flashbacks on shows you know what i'm saying like watchmen when i did watchmen we went back to so many different places in watchmen we went to the Tulsa stuff we went to um in germany we did we did so many different things on that show as well that um, if I didn't know or, you know, know how to research and go and put in that work to make that do that character development, I would have been screwed. And being the key on that show, you had to know so I can be able to have my department head back. Even if my department head don't know, that's what I feel like a lot of times people underestimate themselves because of the position. I think all positions are very important it just i've been on shows when i worked on um twilight breaking dawn um they were in a situation where uh, the young men had twists and dreadlocks and a young lady that was doing it she ended up hurting herself and she couldn't do it and i was there doing background and my uh the lady that asked me to come down rita prillo she ended up asking me and she said mona i know you know how to do everything but i'm gonna ask this dumb question anyway do you know how to do twists i said of course i know how to do twists and dreadlocks and I ended up being a day player from being a day player for two weeks and sustain a month of work because I had gotten that training, even something that I didn't do. I didn't even do that in the salon. But I always if something is popular in any culture, I always try to learn and I try to tell any hairstylist, learn the new trends, but also learn the old trends. 
Learn how to curl like they did. Learn how to pin curls. Don't lose your basics. Always uh, push yourself to do things that you don't do on a regular basis. It's easy to do the stuff you already do. What makes it a challenge is when you learn and master those things that you're not comfortable, especially with texture, especially like now. And I try to push it that texture is really important, especially with African-American actresses. So even with the actors. So when you're not really comfortable enough and know your stuff, get your training because you're going to have situations where you're going to have to do people that are not in your culture. Are you prepared for that? You know, you're so used to doing this to where you not haven't allowed yourself to stay open to learn other textures and other ethnic styles or hair. I just think that's a disservice to yourself. And that's what I, I didn't go to a traditionally what you call a traditionally black school, uh, African-American hair school. I went to uh, a, what you call a traditionally Caucasian school because I wanted to do and touch hair that I wouldn't normally get a chance to touch because I was, like I said, had been bootlegging and doing all my friends hair at home. But why wouldn't I learn how to do Caucasian hair or Asian hair? Because those textures are different. And even though one thing I've learned about African-American hair, we have every level of type of hair from the level A to level C in one, two, three or four. And when you learn texture, you got everything mastered. It doesn't even matter anymore because once you learn texture, it doesn't matter if my skin is white, white, white or if it's dark, dark, dark. It doesn't matter because that texture is only going to allow you to do certain things. And if you understand what to put on it, how to manipulate it, how to take care of it, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to always work, always work. Yeah. And it's the same with skin. You know, it's the same in, in makeup, too. It's like every skin tone, every skin level, every skin texture. Yeah. You have to train yourself. But I always find people so complacent, always sending me pictures of stuff that they know how to do. You're not impressing me. You're not so, making yourself strong. Yeah. It's it's the whole, like, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? Yes. And I think that's a disservice to yourself if you want to be an artist that stands out. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I yeah. can't wait. To, I can't wait till you um, complete this book, too. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> putting it together. She stay on my butt. And I'm that's like, yeah, she's like, you gonna talk about it. You're going to be about it because everything that you've taught me over this, because she's been with me um, these last four shows. She, she just got into the union this year. And I was grateful. I had like eight people that I mentored when I first got here three years ago. Uh -huh. All of them now are in the union. I'm, so, I'm like a mama bird. I'm just so excited. I got one more guy that I'm waiting on to cross over. And I know this year he, he'll definitely be there. And I, I'm like, I feel like I've, oh, I've done this. You're not talking about Renee, are you? Yes, I'm talking about Angela. Yes. Oh, I love her. Love her. Yes. Love her yes, she is so much. Lady. And me and her ended up meeting by chance. Um, she took Crystal Wright's class and uh -huh. Crystal Wright introduced her to Debbie, Miss Debbie Young yes. and Gazi Young. And uh -huh. Gazi, Miss Debbie, she was telling, Gazi told her, she was like, yeah, everything is kind of booming more so in Atlanta. You want to get your feet wet. You're going to probably have to move. And she packed up her whole life and she, she stepped did. out in faith. And Miss Debbie told her, she said, I got somebody that you need to get under because I know she's going to take care. She's going to get you where you need to go. And just so happened, I had just moved to Atlanta and I had an extra room that I was renting out to artists that was coming here. That was migrating. I call it the great migration. <laughs> migrating here to Atlanta. And I didn't want to see people not have a place to stay. So I just rented a bigger apartment. Always trying to help folks and right. ended up meeting. Her. didn't know her from nobody and I wouldn't remember her getting there and I went off Ghazi and I had never even met Ghazi at that point but I just knew from Miss Debbie's testimony of the type of person she was that I could trust her after talking to her on the phone I said I said I told her I said you know I'm 100 now if you ain't who you say you are you won't have to go I said but if you who you are I'll help you I said if you want to help yourself and we had that whole little disclosure and she had got here and she haven't stopped everything that I taught her everything positions that I put her in every any referral that I gave her 
she got it. She wanted it. She was hungry for it. And God has really blessed her. And she's in a position now. She's even um, um, really making leeway because she worked on the last two shows with me. Even now that she got out of the union, she was like, Mona, this is my first full time job. I was like, girl, you earn it. I said, I love you as a friend, but I'm not that girl. I love everybody. But one thing about me, Brooke. If you can't do the job, guess what, sugar? <laughs> you won't be at the house. You're going to be that friend I'm talking to on the phone. You're not going to be in my trailer because that ain't happening. Right. Right. I love everybody, but no, I like people that work hard and that want it. People is too many people take this for granted. And the things that we are able to create, I just feel like, like I told you, that your everything that you do is your next audition because you just never know if that producer that's on that show, see how you work hard could be the next UPM or the next executive producer on another show or that actor that you did or that uh, extra that you did, that background artist that is the daughter to the executive producer and see what you do and suggest. Because right. I had a friend ended up getting a job that was a major show from a background uh, PA and said, hey, you know what, you work really hard. You want me to put your name in? And ended up being a, an amazing show. And he was like, Mona, you was right. I got to stop uh, uh, talking down back, uh, background. Yeah. And, I, and I said, I told y'all, y'all just don't know who's connected to who. And, it, like pays, and it pays to be nice. What's wrong with just being nice? Just because of, of a position doesn't make people any less or better. I think we all on one plateau. And if you go into a position knowing that you're just as important as anybody else is just as important and we treat each other on the same accord, I think it's a beautiful thing when that happens. Right. Right. No, I completely agree. We shouldn't, we should be kind to everybody. I mean, it doesn't you know. matter. And, but um, the greater part about it, people want to be treated nice, but you can right. be serious. Thank the others. Are you, are you serious? Come on now. You got to give to get now. Right. <laughs> That's how right. That thing goes, goes both ways. <laughs> exactly. So, it's so funny. So um, I met Renee on House of Cards, and she was on there as a referral from Gazi uh-huh. um, as well. So I met her. Her and I worked together in House of Cards background last season, um, and we hit it off so good, and we've kept in touch. Actually, I need to text her, but um, she's amazing. She's And I'm so glad that she's been with you, you know? Oh, my God. She's been uh, she was like Mona you just don't know I'm so grateful she said girl she said I just want to ride with you from here on out wherever you want me to do I ain't got to get she said the things that you teach me I don't even want to get I ain't got to get paid she said I'm grateful for being being paid but she's like the stuff that you know girl she said but you give it to a 100 and it's real and it's and I told her I just want to see you be the best film hair designer you can be. I said, because you have to aspire to be those positions. Don't right. think just because you're in the background world or you're doing the secondary actors that if you desire those things, I said, but I want you to be prepared. I don't want you jumping in that water and you ain't got no life jacket on. You're going to go to the bottom. So right. I want you to be able to float better yet. I said, I want you to be able to swim and backstroke and glide and all that. I said, so every little piece of the step of your journey into this this film industry, you don't take it lightly. Make sure that you understand and reflect that each step has its purpose. Yes, absolutely. Every experience has its purpose. Every, everyone, because I know that's why I'm where I'm at now. I've never taken it lightly because I know that from the biggest of the biggest opportunities, have always led to the little bitty of the little opportunities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know when I was talking to you um, via text the other day and you were talking about this upcoming job and, you know, I think I said this to you, but you always give 110%. (laughs) You know, like it doesn't matter. (laughs) I mean, you're a true testament to that. You know, like you said, every head is your next audition. You just don't know. So never know. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. (laughs) And I love, I've, I've enjoyed hearing your story so much. And I love how you transitioned in. I, I feel like you transitioned into TV and film at the right time because it was like you were in the salon forever. And like you were saying, you know, a lot of the clients, you end up doing the same thing, especially if you're in a small town. It's like you're doing the same thing. You only have certain people who want to venture out and try new things. Yes. But you moved into TV and film um, before you burn out, you know, which is amazing and brilliant that. Because so many of us in the industry, it's like we get, you know, you start getting burnout or get bored, right? And you start 
thinking about leaving the industry and doing other things, but you like transitioned at, you know, like at the perfect time, which of course, yeah. you know, um, you know, everything that's for you is for you, but I just think it's, it, it's beautiful how that, how that flow went, you know? Yeah. And I'm grateful so, for it. Yeah. So you've given us like so many words of wisdom, so many little, <laughs> <laughs> so many little nuggets, but I have one last question for you. If, 2020 Mona was having a conversation with 2010 Mona. What would she say? I would say to her, don't be afraid. Always pursue and keep giving 150%. That's what I would say to her. Because she will understand because that 2010 Mona was always so scared. Because I didn't, it was like for me, I had to touch it to believe it. But I know now you have to operate in things that you can't see all the time. But just trust yourself enough to be able to keep pursuing, to be able to get the results that you know you see. That's what I would tell her. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Now, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so My much for doing pleasure, that. My pleasure, beautiful. My <laughs> pleasure. Thank you so much, Brooke. And it was a pleasure meeting you up there in Baltimore. It I was know. So quick. And I pray that our paths cross again as far as work is concerned because it was a delight. It looked like we just packed the trailer up, did two faces and heads, <laughs> and then we had to pack up and go home. Dang yeah. on COVID. But, you know, it's what it is. I think our paths are going to cross. I I think so, too. Even in doing this, because, you know, your aim is to inspire and mine is too. So inspiration is the key. And those type of people, I think, that always draw to me because I always draw to them. So love you, girl. I appreciate you. you. I love you. And you keep doing what you're doing because this here, these type of things, these things matter because people's stories need to be heard. Because you just never know that one person that you might spark that could be that next great person. So keep it up, girl. Keep it up, girl. Super proud of you. (laughs) Love you. (laughs) Love you. Thank you so much. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a like and follow us at The Collective Pro. On today's episode, we have Andrea Mona Bowman. On this week's episode, we have Andrea Mona Bowman. Mona is a union hairstylist, educator, and mentor.